Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the World in Sport. I'm Vinnie Wiley. This week, a new association's helping to ease the struggles of Pacific men playing professional rugby overseas. And we take a look back at some of the highlights of 2016. But first, the incoming Fiji Sevens coach Gareth Baber says he's involved in discussions about new contracts for the players. The Fiji Rugby Union has come under fire after it emerged the Olympic and World Series champions had played the first two tournaments of the season without any long-term security. The situation came to light when former coach Ben Ryan appealed to the FIU to pay the players. His successor, Gareth Baber, will take charge in the new year and says a solution is not far off. Yeah, obviously I have been party to conversations that are happening in relation to uh, the process of uh, finding a, a, a more uh, sustainable method for obviously remuneration for the players. What that exactly looks like um, is not being uh, set in stone yet, and obviously I'm part of that because you know essentially I've got to look at what squads we can put together and how we can manage those squads moving forward. And that was you know part of the early conversations that I had around contract with myself. Uh, and obviously moving forward in terms of being able to deliver a program uh, that would be effective for Fiji rugby. There's a number of things that have to happen before that, and obviously the players, uh, I'm sure, uh, will have a say in trying to find out exactly what that looks like for themselves. Um, and obviously the rugby union, on the other hand, will be looking to put in um, uh, contracts, if you like, or, or, or agreements which would make sure that there's a security around the group um, and there's a way forward for, for the players to keep representing Fiji. Have you been given any assurances over contracts coming in? So you've got, I guess, confidence those players are going to be around or um, you know, are you concerned that you know, players might just up and leave or that the players aren't being maybe remunerated to the level that you know, Olympic gold medalists probably should be? I think with any any successful team or any successful program, they will always be. It's been the same in Europe. It's been the same in Hong Kong. It'll be the same. I'm sure when I go to Fiji, that you will get players that leave. And you know, when you start thinking about competing with the likes of Toulon and Toulouse and Montpellier, then then there's there's always going to be ways uh, that they can attract players uh, away from anywhere, be it Fiji, be it Wales, be it Australia. Um, I think what what I want to do is obviously get to a point where there's a control around that. There is the, the players will move because players have a, an interest in in maximising their potential, their earning potential during a relatively small career, um, and that's never more evident than in Fiji or, or Tonga or Samoa, where a lot of players leave quite early in their careers to go elsewhere. Um, for me to have the answers to that at this moment and to, to start casting those around, I think would be slightly irresponsible. But certainly, it's on my uh, my my agenda that obviously when I get to Fiji and the early conversations that I've had, one one thing is to stabilise uh, the playing group and, and those guys that would be representing Fiji in the near future. Um, I think uh, secondly, then is looking around the whole program to see how do you ensure that. Um, it's a managed process. It's not left ad hoc. 
and that uh, whoever is there, be it me or a coach in the future, has a structure to work to by which they understand and the players understand and the Fiji public and the rugby union understand that um, there is a way that, that these players can represent Fiji and fulfill some of the, the ambitions that they have whilst remaining in Fiji. Um, as I say, you'll always get a natural transition of players who are coming to the end of their career uh, and or players who want to go and earn money elsewhere. And you'll have a natural transition of players into a program as well. And what I want to do is be in a position where I'm in control and managing that along with the rugby, uh, Fiji Rugby Union. But at the end of it, the players uh, are understanding and know what they sit. So um, that will be the main aim probably early in January and February is to ensure that uh, those structures get put in place and, uh, and as transparent a process as possible happens so everybody knows where they are. You know, I, I guess it is a somewhat unique circumstance, isn't it, that obviously Natha was in charge for these uh, first two tournaments, so uh, if a whole bunch of players were signed up long-term and then you came in and potentially had different ideas or maybe you saw some players at some events and thought they were quite talented but you already had 20 players or 15 players on the books, then... I guess they, they need to allow for yourself as the head coach to to be able to make those decisions. And yes, I think that's probably come out the back of sort of where the where the Olympics was, and all planning had gone towards the Olympics. And you know, inevitably, there is probably a bit of a fallow period after that. That that that, that uh, you know, there's a bit of uh, reorganising and, and and restructuring to ensure that you know you start moving forward over the next three and a half years. But um, yeah, as I said, NAF has done a great job, and I think the players did a great job in in Dubai and South Africa. Even though some of this, the, the, these obviously concerns are in their heads, and you know, it, it's it's through it's, it's not through you know any any fault of their own. The players they're doing what they do, and and obviously they they want to produce what they can for Fiji. But there's a bigger picture here in terms of ensuring that that it move it, it, it's sustainable for the future Fijian rugby. And um, me going in in January, um, and as you say. Uh, it happens in soccer a lot. Um, you know, you wait until the new manager comes in and then you see where you are. But equally so, it happens in, in lots of in different sports where you can see that somebody comes halfway through. So um, I think it's prudent in terms of uh, the rugby union in, in, and the, the players as well to ensure uh, that they have good conversations. And I'm part of that as well, as are uh, obviously you know people around the rugby union in Fiji to make sure that it works for the future and it works for ensuring that uh, hopefully one day again they'll, they'll grab that Olympic gold. Okay, so is there a chance that something could be in place or pretty close to it by kick-off in Wellington? I would, you know, I'd like to think that there would be some uh, understanding there by the time we go to Wellington. Um, what I don't want to do is obviously the players still be in a position of flux and not understanding exactly where their future lies and, and trying to provide some security to that obviously aids performance. My biggest, my biggest concern is going to be you know, performing in international competitions and having done it myself, I know I don't, you know, I don't want them to have distractions. I want them to feel some sort of security so they're able to focus their minds on, on what is a very as you said earlier on, a very intense and competitive uh, tournament uh, going into Wellington. So it's my hope that uh, it will be a bit of work, I'm sure, in the first three or four weeks of, of January to ensure that that does happen. But uh, you know, there's, there's indications that uh, we'll get somewhere with, with, with that during January. That's the incoming Fiji Sevens coach, Gareth Baber. There are hopes that a new association will help ease the struggles hundreds of Pacific men face while playing professional rugby overseas. Pacific rugby players' welfare is currently engaged with over 100 men in the UK and is conducting cultural diversity programmes with clubs to aid their integration into the community. 
Last month, a Fijian man playing third division rugby in France committed suicide, further highlighting the pressures placed on Pacific men plying their trade in the Northern Hemisphere. Programme director and former Manu Samoa player Daniel Leo told Koro Vakauta there has been a lack of support for Pacific players in the past. We want to be a pressure group, you know, getting a fair shot for our players. We want to be able to address all aspects of player welfare, whether that be cultural alienation, social alienation, cultural differences, everything really um, that makes it difficult for Pacific Island rugby players. When I say Pacific Island rugby players, I'm not just talking about the guys that have played for Samoa, Tonga and Fiji. I'm talking about the whole spectrum. You know, we've got lots of players over here who have, you know, have got Samoan, Tonga or Fijian ancestry, but haven't necessarily played for their national side. So we want to make a, you know, an organisation that was encompassing of, of all of those guys and confronts every issue of welfare, whether it be you know helping guys get a driver's license here or pay their council tax, to helping that communication process at the clubs between players and coaches or players and other players. Now these are issues a lot of professional rugby players deal with, but maybe talk a little bit about what unique challenges there are for Pacifica players or people of, of Pacific heritage that are playing overseas. I mean, one of the key cultural misunderstandings is the fact that we, I guess, us as, uh, as Pacific uh, young men growing up, we're probably not as encouraged to talk as, uh, as some of the English guys over here. Definitely not encouraged to ask questions of people in authority or you know people who might be of a different generation. For us, that's a sign of respect. We don't talk out of turn, but um, that can be misconstrued as a lack of engagement. So it's one of the key things over the last six months. I've just been going into the clubs and saying, look, the way that we communicate is very different than the way you know an English player or a Scottish or Welsh player communicates. There's a lot of pressures on uh, on us as Pacific Island rugby players. Financial pressure, there's family pressure, the fact that we're away long distances away from, from our communities. But there's also that key aspect that we don't necessarily verbalise our frustration, which sometimes can lead to the instances that because we're not that great at verbalising our frustrations, we end up uh, acting them out physically, whether that comes across an, uh, an act of foul play on the field or off the field. Sometimes we've got um, high instances of violence in our communities. And for me personally, I think, you know, that can be addressed if we can create a channel where guys just aren't so frustrated and bottling things in. Recently, there was a tragic passing away of Isiru Leteo. That probably brings to light how important your work is, isn't it? It is. And France is a whole another kettle of fish, 400 plus Pacific Island players over there. And the dynamics of the UK is very different to that in France. In France, it's a lot easier for guys straight from the islands to come to play in France because there's less of a visa barrier. 70% of the players that come to the UK have had the stepping stone of New Zealand or Australia. A lot of us have been born in those countries. Whereas 70% of the, of the Pacific Island players that go to France are directly from the islands. On top of that, they've got the language barrier as well. A lot of different not different pressures on there. And, and I guess the sad fact is, is that a lot of us can't deal with that pressure. That's the next step is really working with those, like establishing a program in France, just increasing our resilience as the people in dealing with those types of pressures. That's Daniel Leo speaking to Kuro Vakauta. And with this, the last World in Sport for 2016, we thought it an opportune time to take a look back on some of the highlights of the year in Pacific sport. I was joined in the studio by Kuro Vakauta with a little bit of help from Dominic Godfrey to uh, look on some of the best moments, starting with Fiji's Olympic Sevens triumph in Rio. They've been the best for for two years, having won the World Series, but this was always the goal at the end of it. And, you know, we've seen from other countries over the last four years as well, the likes of USA and uh, even, you know, Scotland, Wales, uh, a lot of countries that have come up, you know, Kenya have sort of been there or thereabouts for a a few years now, Argentina. Um, There are so many competitive nations now on that seven circuit. There are, um, you know, Japan getting better as they are in 15s. 
Portugal that uh, it's not as easy as it used to be. And so whilst Fiji, New Zealand, etc., have always been up there and always had that talent, that almost isn't enough these days. Um, you know, as New Zealand showed with a very disappointing season all round, um, it doesn't matter what players or, or, or what money you have. Sometimes um, you've you've got to you know um, deliver as well. And uh, you know, amidst all the things they have going against them, Fiji, the financial resources, the facilities, uh, they still found a way. Uh, and yeah. you know, it was clinical. It was impressive. Uh, you know, in every match that mattered at that Olympics, they were utterly prepared and uh, utterly um, that you know they knew what was coming and and they. Dealt with it, yeah. Well, as much as people talk about New Zealand having a 15-a-side conveyor belt, if you like, of talent, um, the same can be said about, despite their lack of um, you know, financial resources, their human resource pool is, is great. Just uh, They may not have the, the you know population of other countries, but their sevens population or player pool is extremely talented. It's their number one sport, if you like, uh, their number one focus, a lot of uh, people have aligned it to, or likened it to religious religion in terms of the following it has in in the islands there, and 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 we've seen in recent days it's um, political as well. There's so much following and support behind it, but also the reason, of course, why this uh, feat is is so big and such an achievement is is the historical nature of it. It's the first time. Uh, the Pacific region, um, obviously without New Zealand and Australia involved, the Pacific Islands region has won gold in the Olympics. Of course, we had Paya Wolfgram, I think it was in Atlanta, winning a boxing medal, but never a gold. And um, also, in an, such an historical nature, it was Sevens being at the Olympics for the first time. We'd had rugby before, but Sevens being in its inaugural year as well. So there was all this historical nature and context which brought it to the fore and made it such a great story, um, you know, Ben Ryan featuring on the likes of CNN and NBC around the world as well. So it was definitely the story, uh, sporting story of the Pacific. And I think from a Fijian perspective, uh, if there was a sport that they could win in, you know, sevens rugby could have, you know couldn't be more appropriate. It is um, the sport that they love. Um, and, and, you know, we've even seen uh, since Rio, it's only been a few months, but, uh, you know, they've been competitive in the first two rounds of the World Series, but there's already these murmurings about the contract talks that I know you were covering uh, last week, and uh, we had, you know, Gareth Baber on this morning. Uh, it, it just shows that, you know, any sort of slip, any sort of issues, how fine that line is in Sevens Rugby, so to del- achieve what they did, um, um, you know, makes it all the more impressive. And of course, again, we bring it back to what it meant to the people. Um, everyone has commented how um, Fiji, the nation, was recovering from Cyclone Winston, and in the aftermath of this, for this to happen, it just gave people, um, you know, uh, it can sound kind of corny, but it gave people a kind of a glimmer of hope, but also a distraction from the struggles that they were facing. And uh, the likes of Tupou Dranandalu, an opposition MP there, said it really is what the one thing in the whole country that unites everyone, regardless of race, political party, creed, whatever. And uh, also uh, a couple of other Olympic-themed uh, highlights. Uh, just just quick, we'll, we'll get to Peter, but um, in terms of medals, of course, you know, kind of not still technically officially confirmed, but effectively confirmed. Uh, you know, we talk about no other gold medals until Fiji, uh, but there will be a silver very shortly for Ali Opilonga, of course, um, uh, in Samoa for weightlifting. Uh, that was quite the story because... Um, you know, it's it's come eight years after the fact that she will have won this medal from the Beijing Olympics, and it comes amidst just uh, an absolute, um, you know, conveyor belt of uh, disqualifications for drug cheats, uh, especially from Eastern Europe. Um, so it's quite a bizarre feeling, I guess, to to win a medal, but 
not have you know you didn't get that feeling on the day. I remember Val Adams talked about that when she yeah. uh, got upgraded and uh, you don't get to stand on the podium. No, um, and I know that um, this wasn't necessarily a goal, but you know Val didn't get to hear that her anthem. But you don't get to stand on the podium. You don't get the the reception back home. You don't get all the press coverage, the interviews, that sort of thing. So that is the kind of thing you miss out on, um, and your name's etched in history forever, if you like. And uh, her coach, uh, Jerry Warwick, who was uh, still the uh, head weightlifting coach for Samoa um, and was her coach at the time in Beijing, he said that, you know, in the preparation to that, because uh, uh, I think Ali won gold at the Commonwealth Games in Delhi in uh, 2010, uh, I think it was, um, two years after Beijing, um, as did her brother, um, Nusila. Um, but uh, he, he said that, you know, we did all this preparation, we did all the work we possibly could, had... Uh, you know, all the uh, effort, whatever, and we still couldn't get there, and, and we just wondered why. We wondered, you know, how can we do all this work, be at this level, but when it comes to the day, we just can't quite get there, and uh, you could suggest that uh, some of the test results that have come out after have explained that. Well, Paul Cotter, um, the uh, Oceania Federation uh, General Sec, he's been extremely vocal this year about um, the Pacific having some of the greatest natural um, lifters that you can have that you know genetically they've they've got that kind of um, strength behind them if you like, but that, that they're finding it hard to have a level playing field given the drugs that are out there. And he named people and nations um, this year before Rio that he was like uh, pinpointing and accusing and alleging that these guys were all taking. So um, this uh, I guess kind of backs up what he was saying. And uh, you talked about what you know Olympic gold meant for Fiji. Uh, you know I know for Samoa the very much looking forward to celebrating Leopi Longa's uh, success and, and having a, a a parade and a, a you know a, a ceremony and sort of a, an event to honour her as well over there. Um, so that will mean a lot to the country. It'll be Samoa's first Olympic medal, um, so that's pretty significant as mm. well. Um, Tonga, of course, as you mentioned, uh, Paya Wolfgram won that medal in 1996. There were no medals in 2016, but, but something was, glistened. But something definitely did glisten. Uh, it wasn't gold, but it... Uh, bronze. Bronze. <laughs> very, very bronzed, uh, very tanned. Um, Peter Talfotafua, who uh, didn't win a medal, but he won the hearts of many, um, especially the female population. Um, quite an entrance at the Rio opening ceremony, and uh, to this day, uh, his, his impact is uh, still reverberating, you could say, uh, around the world. Yeah, by now everyone knows the name, everyone knows the pictures, this guy with his shirt off, um, coconut oil, um, really brought attention to Tonga, and and that's what he wanted. He really said his 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 time at Rio was about not just his sport, but bringing uh, Tonga into the into the fold in terms of the global focus. And he did that. He was he featured not just obviously in the opening ceremony, but in the closing ceremony. He was one of the um, main appearances, feature appearances, if you like. Um, and unfortunately for him, not doing so well on the on the Taekwondo mat, uh, being eliminated in. The first round, but he's gone on to other things, as you mentioned. He's um, uh, being a key feature of a, a Tongan tourism campaign, um, and also now a, a possible push for Winter Olympics fame. Dom, any, any anything from you? I, th- that, that... I, th- I think the um, there's one fairly major thing you might be missing. <laughs> we're heading to as he as he's speaking about Parker. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're we're, we're going to get to that. We're, I I thought of um, when uh, Vinny talked about the um, the receptions that Opolongi could possibly get. We uh, we know that um, uh, Joseph Parker is getting a big reception in in Samoa as we speak.
Um, today is scheduled a government reception and, and a half-day holiday for government workers. Hooray. Hooray. <laughs> we know, uh, Not we, so much for the people out in the fields working. Exactly. But we um, we spoke to the sports minister uh, out there, former um, Manusa Moore player, Kaniti Seal, who was always... Already looking forward to a day off when, when we rang him. So, um, but they they've welcomed um, Parker with open arms. He's um, uh, he has uh, of course uh, two chiefly titles as well. He's re- being honoured in Samoa. He, he mentioned that Samoa is really. He said in, to our correspondent in Samoa that Samoa is his home. He's been going back there um, almost yearly since he was a baby. Um, he knows the language. He knows the culture. So he's um, and, and of course the Samoan government we all know now stepped in and um, helped sponsor the event, the fight at Victor Arena in Auckland when um, the New Zealand government and the Auckland City Council didn't. So um, there are some strong links there for sure. And uh, he of course fought in Samoa in Apia at the start of this year in January. Uh, one of his bouts, uh, and uh, at the time it was suggested he was going to get that fight in in Samoa um, whilst he still could because he was going to get big and big and big as he's done already this year with the success WBO world champion. Um, but but there's also talk already, uh, you know, some murmurings that he might actually be able to take another fight to Samoa uh, next year at some point as well. So, uh, you know, they, they've already had him there to fight. They've had him there to celebrate the success uh, at the moment. Uh, but imagine if he goes back and fights there as a world champion, that would be pretty exciting as well. And that was our look at some of the top Pacific sporting moments of 2016. And that's the world in sport for this week and the year. I'm Vinnie Wiley. Thanks for listening. Merry Christmas and see you in 2017. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.